Hey, all you Queer Queries listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I'm just so honored, so excited to speak with our guest today. She is a Haitian-born performer, a published model, activist, abolitionist, visionary, and a lifelong student. She also won the 2015 Jimmy Award for Best Actress. She was recently featured in Flatbush Misdemeanors on Showtime. She was on the national tour of Beautiful, the Carol King musical, a part of Variety's Creative Class 21, a Savage Fenty changemaker, and she's the founder and president for the nonprofit Claim Our Space Now, which is an organization that aims to educate, motivate, unionize, and mobilize all in the task of dismantling an intricately woven system that was built to keep black and brown bodies under the foot of white supremacy. She is incredible. She is truly doing it all. Please welcome to your ears, Marla Louis Saint. Hello, hello. Thank you for this introduction, darling. I was like, I do all that? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. That is like the first thing is like, I wonder, I'm like, how do you do it all? Passion. And life kind of just puts me up in these situations like, hey, you're a first gen student. You're going to try and do computer science. You're going to go to school for five and a half years while you're auditioning. And you're also going to learn what chosen family looks like, what you're really passionate about. I just let life inform the choices that I make. And I'm glad that I have the support system around me to either yell at me to be like, girl, I I need you to really do some introspection right now or to push me to really believe in my voice or believe in my craft. How I do it is not alone. (laughs) It's with the team that has been here, whether just joining or has been here for like what I like to call like the five-year journey, uh, six now, uh, since 2015, because that's when really everything started like clicking into gear for me as an artist and such. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to you, baby. <laughs> yeah, I know. My God, how things have changed since <laughs> 2015. But just first thing right off the bat that I ask everyone is what was your first exposure to queerness, LGBTQ identity, all of that good stuff? Well, I'll start off by saying that I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. So a lot of the queer things that I now know are queer, like Whitney Houston, a lot of people like my Haitian family, they love Celine Dion. They love Whitney Houston. And I'm like, y'all didn't even know that there are the queer icons that um, that they are today. So it's like between those icons that I I grew up listening to or in school, I, I might as well start with this story. The first person I crushed on was a girl named Corey. Corey Evans, uh, if you ever listening to this girl, like, I would love to reconnect. <laughs> like, I I was crushing on a girl and like, that was something that I already as a, a young kid was very conflicted about because going to church every Wednesday and Sunday, hearing that gayness is a sin and between my own personal, like, young baby feelings of like, oh, am I going to hell? Like, what? what's going on? I, you know, so I'd say like being thrust into it and trying to push those feelings away, but also like holding her hand and like kissing her in the hallway. Like there were introductions to it throughout my life. And in suppressing those feelings throughout or feeling like I was betraying my family, feeling that way, I thought that I could pray it away sometimes until I was like maybe 13. And I was like, okay, well, now I'm in love with a trans person. So what, what does it say about me? And I just have to step into my full truth. But that was a little hard in living with a family that lived by uh, certain values that I couldn't really just speak openly about. So between like seeing artists that I admired and also trying to navigate my own queerness uh, as a kid, those were my introductions to to queer life. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like the word queer, at least like how I understand it, I think it's ever evolving today like didn't come into like my life until college because it's so it is descript but also very nondescript it's so like concrete but also very fluid and like you were saying like looking back on your life and recognizing these times of when we're growing up and we are exploring like what we now understand of queerness and like I know for me like that very much being in like performance and like me always being drawn to roles traditionally played by women and going around the house with like blankets tied around my waist and using them as trains and all of that stuff. But then it's always religion. That is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's one of those things I'm always intrigued to hear about, like, cause it's all, that always seems to be the roadblock in everything. Like 
oh, you're exploring this and you feel very comfortable. And then you have this one factor involved. You have how they view queerness, homosexuality, transness, etc. And then you're suddenly forced to question your own truth. And if it's valid, you know, or is, is it a phase? Did I choose this? Did I, you know, like all these questions that we have to bear. It's, it's such a burden. <laughs> Nobody should have to feel like, whoa, my experience is invalidated by powers that be that actually seek to suppress me and my voice for reasons beyond just my queerness. I don't need to get into the whole societal expectation bit of it, but you know, it's all part of the systems that, you know, between white supremacy, patriarchy, all of them working together to really try and demonize a whole group of people and profit off of it at that. But you can, you can dive in a little, a little later about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, because it's one of those things, and this is like one area that I still need to like do so much research in because I'm just a queer historian. I get so mad and whatever I hear it, but you look at a lot of like indigenous cultures and how, like I like I just said, I spoke with Anisha and she was talking about Hydra culture and the third gender in Indian culture and how you had queer people and trans people who were looked at as like deities in these societies and were worshipped and were included. And then you have Christianity and colonialization and all of that stuff that imposes its way into these cultures and erases that and then switches everything on its head. And I just, I wonder what if that hadn't happened? Like, what if these cultures were allowed to grow? How would queer people on a whole be existing now? Like the gods and goddesses that they are, the deities. I read, and actually I'm looking right at it, The Spirit of Intimacy, and that was my real exposure to understanding outside of like Haitian culture, because I'm still very much diving in on my own. This is where like that student for life. Yes, I got my degree, but honey, the learning don't stop there. And in the, the African spirituality in that, uh, that space, I can't actually remember the tribe specifically, but I've seen it make its rounds on social media that gay people and trans people were the gatekeepers. They were worshipped and really celebrated for their identity and what they represented as part of the culture and the the community. And so like, I love to imagine that utopian kind of space and like a round table because they really used to gather as a tribe and work through challenges together. We never see that today. Like I model a lot of the transformative justice models that I love to like imagine for a world for ourselves where we're actually collaborative and we, we include everybody at the table, have voices from each background as part of this society that we, we wish to build where we don't have to see queer people being killed. We don't have to see black people being martyred. The list goes on. But I always love to tie it back because all colonialism did was seek to profit off of the backs of people that stood firm in their tradition. It was like, if you stand from your tradition, then I can't make money off of you because then you're not buying into what I have to sell, which is whatever they were mining out of out of the mountains, whatever whatever they were putting our ancestors to, to put to work. So it always ties back to money, child. Capitalism is where a lot of the suppression and oppression goes back to for me. And the day that, uh, that we get to see a world where people stand up to that and say like, honey, I see right through these lies. I'm going to stand in my truth because I know that's exactly what you don't want me to do. Yeah, I'm going to collect my coin in my indigenous owned small business. Yeah, I'm queer too. I'm going to make my money. <laughs> I'm going to build community. I'm going to seek to reach out to the my neighbor next door to me and make a difference together because we actually don't need your systems of oppression to collaborate. Yeah, the word community. I think that was one of the things that like when I did my like early deep dives into learning about like our queer history and, and everything. It's like that for me is what allowed me to just accept, I don't know, fully, what am I trying to say? Fully, uh, unapologetically accept. Yeah. Like what we were saying it when we we're younger and I don't want to speak for everyone, but like with myself and just people I've, I've spoken with, it's like when we're younger, we are exploring these things and because we're children and the world can seem endless. And some of us are privileged in that we do have supportive parents who, who allow us to explore these sides of femininity or masculinity or outside of the gender binary that may not be okay depending on our community or wherever we're a part of. But then there's like the factor, whether it be religion or whatever, that kind of puts a halt on that. And then we spend so much of our lives trying to get back in touch with that child, that sense of freedom and exploration. Yeah. Finding your inner child. There's a, a Haitian liberation coach that I've been connected with through uh, some circles of mine. And there was an inner child exercise where 
I didn't realize how damaged I had become or trying to like shut out parts of my life where when I was five, I was like, you know, the movie Selena, Jennifer Lopez portraying Quintiana. And so like, there were times where my family scrutinized me for like actually just dancing and like being my full self and being curious. And those are things that in our own healing, as we find our way uh, into our queerness too, it, it happens in cycles for me. It's like, okay, so I'm dating a man right now. Does that make me any less queer? And I've had people come to me and ask me if I'm actually queer because I'm dating. I'm like, I don't need to explain myself to you. You don't know my story. And pansexuality is, is something I guess you can, I was going to transition into like the icon that really helped me step into my full truth and around the time when I was on tour. Janelle Monet, honey, was the... Oh my God. Was, was like the, the shot in the cannon. Like I saw everything that she was. And I think it was the Rolling Stone interview where she had opened up about her queerness and like just reading her experience. I was like, that's exactly where I am. Whoa. Like there's press. <laughs> like, I, I don't feel alone. And seeing that somebody else can triumph through their own struggles and triumph through their own challenges that society or family, religion, whatever the, the force may be and come out on the other side of it, stepping into their beautiful glory, <laughs> glory filled space. So, you know, it's something that, both healing the inner child and like the steps along the way get you to that point. It's, it's like the, the, the roadmap, like, yes, we're not going to get to the same destination, but seeing that somebody has also triumphed through it is something that I continue to want to like both press on in my own journey and show like anybody who was a Jehovah's Witness at one time or uh, a young Haitian girl who is androgynous and, you know, like cuts their hair sometimes, or, you know, like there are so many ways of existing. If anybody is telling you that there's only one way, honey, question it. Use your critical thinking skills because maybe there's probably a reason why they're telling you not to. And you have to value your happiness and your joy and your your life at the end of the day every time and step into it unapologetically. Yeah. I'm obsessed with like queer icons because for, I mean, now thankfully like things are changed and I think there's a lot more visibility, but I know at least when like we were growing up, there was not as much visibility and even less, I feel like in direct circles. There may be someone that's like close, but even less for like someone that's like exactly like you or, or went through experience like that you went through that you can look to and it's like, oh, that is the roadmap or that is a guide to help me get to where I want to go. And I think we're just now starting to see more directly accessible. And I think this is because of social media queer people, because I think it's used to be just celebrities or figures that we could look to, but maybe harder to access. And even then it was like, often those icons were either were cis or white and very much like the poster children of who were able to assimilate the most into the straight cis white society. Because who are the producers of the world? It's the white straight cis men. So of course, they latch onto stories that align more closely with what they understand. And even if there was something foreign introduced to them, they'd be like, oh, the world isn't ready for that yet. We'll wait, we'll push it even further. I feel like there's been a, a true overhaul of storytelling. Like I remember seeing Insecure and being like, oh baby, we on the road now. We got Issa Rae telling her story. We have just thinking about that interview with a, a lock. I don't know if I'm pronouncing their name correctly, but like such a candid interview about really facing oneself and the true intentions behind people who don't fully accept their, their children or their peers or community members for being who they are. The accessibility that social media has provided to us, though there are caveats, like it's, it's not always one-sided. The woes of social media are also just as, <laughs> as long, if not longer than like the benefits. But, you know, I definitely identify with the, the accessibility of seeing our testimony on full display um, whether that's our peer right next to us, who is probably standing in auditions with us, <laughs> um, or, you know, it, it, it's it's a cascading, beautiful, like, not a bridge, but I, like building a garden, I, I see. Like you have your yeah, tree over there, you got your, your mango, I'm in the tropics, uh, clearly, uh, the mango tree, you got your, <laughs> um, you know, it's the flora and the fauna of the human experience. And we're so diverse in our, our own ways, and we should lean into the beauty of that, because that's where we find the light. Yeah. I want to ask you just because like, I, like I said, it's been just really inspiring and exciting to see your journey. I mean, I've just known you since 2015, but just like seeing who you've become 
And I want to ask you, like, between like the fashion industry, the theater industry, what have been some instances that you saw yourself or chose to disrupt the system? Especially in the theater industry, I feel like that's where my home is, where I've been in the longest. The modeling was totally like a whim kind of thing that chose me, like just before I jumped back into the theater, but like enough people on the day-to-day when I came back from touring the country, a lot of my healing was in working out because in dealing with my family turning away from me for my choice to leave the faith, fully stepping into my own truth, like I physically and spiritually changed from like 2017 when I left for tour and 2019 when I came back to finish school and everything that cascaded since then. (laughs) But I was getting comments from people enough that were like, hey, you you still like it's not even about your body. It's about like an aura, an essence that you're stepping into yourself and you should probably look into modeling. And so like for months until like it was from January when I came back to September around the time New York Fashion Week happened in 2019, that I was like, you know what? Like, am I missing out an opportunity of like an an industry that I'm not looking into? Because like, now I get it every day at work as I'm hosting, I was a hostess at someplace near Flatiron that's no longer existent because, you know, pandemic things. But like, I've just stepped into, I was like, I'm not going to put a barrier up my whole life. All I was told is no, or you can't do this, you can't do that. I'm not going to put myself in that position either. And so I think that that was a turning point for me because I had said yes to myself, even though like it was a completely new, new industry, new, new space and just committed to doing the research about it. I really try my best to not jump to conclusions before like knowing all the variables. Like it might not have been the first, but like with the whole actor's equity, when they had shared, we're collecting your dues. And I'm like, y'all haven't made a single announcement about what's going to change in the industry. It's been a year, baby, what's up? But things led to that point. Like, had it been like two years ago, I would have never spoken up against like the people that are um, or or have been positioned to be the protectors. And they weren't doing that. So it was like, honey, I'm going to have to really hold y'all accountable to stepping up to the name that you guys proclaim to be. You are actors equity. Where is the equity for Black, trans, people of color, like everybody that is or has been building this industry and on our backs? Where is the respect? Where is the protection? Where is the the unity for us? I guess I'm still having trouble finding the exact pinpoint, (laughs) like the first time for it. But those are those are just some instances between like dismantling systems within myself or creating borders for myself of where I'm allowed to be or allowed to operate in versus systems that are bigger than me that I might participate in because my job needs me to or me walking down the street. How do I dismantle systems of oppression within myself? also encourage people to to speak up because everybody does have a voice. It's about, do you have the courage to speak up to those powers truthfully and unapologetically? Like, I feel like I've been saying that word plenty, but that's, that's just the, the space that I, <laughs> that I know works for me. And I hope to encourage people to follow suit because if that mentality were to just like really just swindle and completely snowball when people just really understand their voice, their power and who they are, we'd live in a very different world today. Mm-hmm. And questioning, like that is one of the things that I think has always been there, but really over the past years really come to light of questioning these systems that have been in place. Like I wrote down, and this is because you mentioned actors equity is so many of these systems have been able to take advantage of our ignorance because we're too busy thinking about like, we're just trying to survive that we're not thinking about some of these like systems that have been in place that you're like, oh, but wait a second. Even if you don't have the answer, like one of the things that I don't know the answer, but I know it needs to change is like the accessibility issue with theater. Why are we charging X for tickets when we're trying like for X show, which is about black trans people, but your ticket prices are not inclusive of those people. You're not going out of your way to include them and give them accessibility to get to see a show that is their story being told. Mm-hmm. And almost up that story for failure because it's not like white people the traditional audience is going to flop to see it the whole time like there's a timeline but if there is actually true representation of black trans people on stage you should be opening up the ticket blocks for more accessible pricing that actually can you know change the lives of the people that you're representing since it's an audio uh moment um <laughs> got some quote, quote unquote darling but yeah totally yeah i think again just like reiterating everything you're saying is That's it. It's like you and then many other people, I think, just have lit the fire under so many people by doing the work that you did not have to do. 
by creating Claim Our Space Now, by doing all of this stuff on social media. And I think that's one of like the beautiful things that has come around on social media is like the amount of people that are providing information. And so the excuse of, I don't know what, I don't know where to look, I don't know all of that is not valid anymore. In my opinion, I don't think it's ever been valid because the information's always been there. You just need to look. But now you have even more people that are going out of their way to break down in a very simplistic way and be like, hey, so here's the situation that's going on in this country. Here's the situation going on with actors' equity. Here's like X, Y, and Z. So you know, here are some lists of steps that you can do. To amplify your voice and really showcase. Like I, the fact that I even I didn't even jump into the whole Nederlander moment, like the whole Broadway. Yes, like, yes. You got this. That was the, the first time, like in a, in a big way that I had galvanized like, Yes, I had been able to make a call out to friends and people within my network to help me build Claim Our Space Now. But in terms of like action, petitions, letter writing, all of the different pieces of the puzzle, that was the first time I had organized. And I think that it was because I felt very personally affected and it made me like recalibrate. Cause I'm like, okay, these people gave me an award. Was this just for show? Like a lot of people that win the Jimmies are people of color. So how can you tell me that this man has been donating to the, and well, not the singular, but the a, a very large enemy of the people, the 45th occupant of the, the White House. I, I don't even want to bring his name into the space. And so like, I think that fire that lit within me, that was quite, again, that word questioning, whether those intentions were pure. It, it wasn't about like my, my talent or about me winning into 2015, but it really, like I, I went to the point of like watching the awards speech, like when they were giving me the award, they they butchered my last name. Like they didn't care for a lot of things, like my me, literally my name. <laughs> so it made me really put a lot into perspective for me. Like, okay, so it's not only about me either. Like it, it's beyond me. It's also the Jalen Josies. It's also the Ava uh, Noblezadas. Like all of us that make up a community that represent this brand that is headed by Nederlander, how do we use our voices to say like, absolutely not? Where can you actually allocate your funds and make a difference and really hold them accountable to the harm that they've caused, whether direct or indirectly, that has to be taken care of. So that was the first time that I had exercised like, all right, I know exactly who to contact with. It's like the former Jimmy alum. Also like, how do I make other people care about this too? Because like, it could very easily just be like, all right, theater people only. No, this affects homeboy literally donated however many thousands of dollars to 45. This affects you too, because those funds helped him get him in office. So like really contextualizing the ways that an issue, though it might target a specific group of people, it also is people in the houses that he, because he's a large producer. There are houses beyond New York. I remember seeing like people signing the petition from LA that were house managers or um, ushers and, and stuff, like reading their testimony and seeing just how much what, you know, to Nederlander was like a little drop in the bucket, how that affected the people that are supporting him and literally are the ones giving him that money to put in somebody else's pocket. So it, it really helped me really see where that power lies in uni- unifying that that's where a lot of the vision comes for Clamor Space Now. I'm going to educate you on, I remember the slides, like educate you on who James L. Nederlander is. I'm going to really mobilize you, try and find some inspiration for you to actually care. Because I can say like, yell about it all the time, but where does yelling take us? We have to find like the purpose, the intention of why we're galvanizing together and then mobilize. Like we got to move together. That's finding unity and community. Uh, Ooh, wait, that's the first time I use that. I'm going to use that some more often. Trademark it, trademark it. Let me take my pen out. What? Oh, honey, that's about to be incorporated into this this relaunch, honey. <laughs> but no, I mean, wrote down multiple things, but I think like you were saying about it's a larger picture. And I think what larger picture that funnels into is the the notion of these organizations or these clothing brands or et cetera, and, and where your money is going. I think that is one of the things that you will see people get like overwhelmed because it's like, I remember it was the whole thing with like SoulCycle and Equinox. Like, how is that money directly affecting when you have like, this is that brand, but that brand is giving money. That money is funneling into the pockets of ex-CEO who is then giving part of that money 
to someone who is very anti the face of this brand, inclusion, acceptance, like living your authentic truth. And I think like that was the whole Niederlander situation was very much funneled into that. And I think galvanized a lot of people to look into specifically in the theater of like these theater owners, these producers, like where is their money going? Because the theater industry is one that paints a face of acceptance, inclusion, et cetera. When this past year has really shown like that's not true, whether it be invisibility on stage, behind the scenes, in the producing and casting, in all the different fields. It's like, just because Once in this Island is winning Best Revival or these shows are winning or being recognized, doesn't mean that it's an accepting field. It's like, that's all in a way faced. And tying back to the accessibility thing we were talking about is one of the things like, I know I try to do it a small way and want to see change and I don't know, have the exact answers, but talking about it and talking about it with other people and trying to be like, who has the answer? Because this is an issue and it needs to be fixed. If we're not seeing enough BIPOC producers, we're not seeing enough BIPOC casting people, et cetera. Like what are those people that are in those positions of power doing to fix that pipeline issue and going into those schools and et cetera, and, and actually training these people. So it's not like you're putting the problem on them of like, you're not interested, or we just can't find the talent and recognize that like, oh, we're the ones who have caused that because we haven't shown them that this is a viable career option because of who exists in the field. And these are the conversations that people should be having, like the the one that we're having right here in this microcosm of the podcast, knowing that nobody has all the answers, but we do have nuggets and we, our voices do contribute to the larger dismantling of bigger systems. Like that's just, just me saying something about Niederlander. That was a drop in the bucket that then really opened people's eyes to uh, whether they were in my networks for modeling or, you know, like people that had no idea about the industry and how it worked and my juncture there and also reaching out to you and other alum that really helped um, contextualize just how racist one capitalist <laughs> to like you, you mentioning how the theater is supposed to be this welcoming space the theater industry takes that love and light that tends to exist in like those small theater troops and, and things where it's really just about like creating the art together and the, the community and bastardizes it and makes the chump change off of a lot of people's bodies. So it's like, how do we in our individual industries, which is where I'll, I'll tie it back into like that vision for film art space now for intersectionality, everybody in their own spaces, whether you're an educator, a lawyer, the list goes on. How do you pull up for Black lives? Because your vantage point, knowing that Black people have inequities all throughout, whether they're trans people, deaf people, disabled people, the systems are mounted against us and everybody contributes to that system. How do you really use intention? And it's always, it always comes back to intentionality. Like I could say F capitalism, but I'm contributing to, that's why I had to like kind of withdraw myself from like buying I've been doing this for years now, but like, I don't buy a whole lot of collabs from like celebrities. You won't catch me in Ivy Park. I love Beyonce, but honey, I can't do it because I know where the factories are. I know that it contributes to child labor or, you know, overseas. How do we ask or like use our voices together to be like, hey, B girl, like we love you. Yes. Thank you. But how can we do this differently than the people that led the call of exploiting labor from abroad? Like be the black woman that changes that. You know, as my as my career grows, I'm sure, like, hopefully I'm able to really be like, hey, B, this girl, knock, knock, knock. I I already see conversation happening Um, and it's going to be completely respectful. Like, sis, I love you, but let's 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 change some things, shall we? Like black women have always been the first to do a lot of things. Let's be the first here and now and inspire people in power to also make changes with us because it's going to take a concerted effort to actually make some change together across our intersections. We think that we're important or not. You don't need a platform to make change, child. It starts within and then the people around you and it just grows beyond that. I feel like that's the theme that has been (laughs) like completely emanating through this, through this. It's like the snowball effect or the uh, using critical thinking. A lot of that just flows out from the individual finding oneself, whether your, your queer identity, your artist identity, if you don't know who you are, you don't know how you contribute to the world around you. Point period. <laughs> Amen. There's also something else you said that I wanted to touch on when you were talking about 
I, I, I can't remember what you said exactly, but like something to the fact of like yelling can only do so much or something like that. And I equate that with this idea of like, for whatever reason, in uh, like, I think in this past year, because of the questioning and because of the people that are like, you are questioning or that don't understand why you're questioning, they always need an explanation and an explanation for like, why are you yelling? Like, okay, you're saying this is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because I'm someone who fully like, there's a lot of times where I do not have the words to say like why something's wrong. Maybe it's because like I saw someone else speak about it on social media and I've learned it, but it's something I'm still learning about. And it's partly like, I don't want to appropriate the words they are using and say something that isn't totally true. But I think the point of what I'm getting is I get frustrated that you need to have words to validate a feeling of like, this isn't right. Or the fact that, and the reason I brought it up with you saying like, yelling can only do so much. The fact that that is invalidated, like the fact that you are yelling, the fact that you care enough to speak out, like, why can't that be enough? Why do you need to like do it in a specific way to get it actually get across to these people? Why do we need information? Like, sure. Like, I think it is helpful to like, here are the exact like points in history of like why this is wrong and, and all these things. But why can't me just saying, you know what? I don't want to do this show. And you know what, agent, I don't have an exact reason why, but there's something that doesn't sit right with me. And that's why I don't want to do it. Why can't that be enough? And why do I need to have like the right words? I don't know if that's making sense. Sure, it is. Um, and it makes me think about just the overall, the summer of allyship that we saw. It's like, okay, yes, you're reading. You're reading up on it. Now, what do you do with it? Because if only you know it, where does that, you know, we're talking about growing beyond you. So yes, that's the first step. But when you start doing things with intention and like actually living by principles and things that you care about, that's what should motivate you to action. Action is what's going to change the world. It's not us learning about things. I could learn about what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Okay, and are you going to donate? Are you going to volunteer? Like there are many different, and just to, to also clarify, there's no one way of going about it. I think that that's a myth that has continued to cascade that like, Yes, a lot of people, like activists like myself, are like, y'all need to pull up. Like, where where are y'all? Where are y'all? But it's also not that there's one way of. There are organizers. There are also people that are out on the streets that are, I know that protests have slowed down a bit, but like, you can be protesting and like, just physically being in the space also speaks to the issues that we're, we're marching about or uh, caring about. But then I even wager even more, like after the march is over, what are you doing? Are you going to donate to mutual aid? Are you going to connect with the leaders and make connections that you might know in your network that continues to grow? Like that one, one motion of like, oh, I know somebody that's working at this organization and you do this work. Just that connection can also cast like, you know, and so just to reiterate, there's no one way to really get involved, but involvement requires action. I don't know how else to illustrate this, but just the word involved, you, you gotta, there's, there's movement there. You gotta jump in. I think of like just jumping into a pool. <laughs> it's like, if you're like learning about an issue, you're just dipping your toe, but somebody is drowning in the middle. What are you going to do? You're just going to watch or are you going to jump in? If you have learned how to swim and you know how to like actually go save somebody's life, or at least like pull a group of people to also join in and like lift this person out of the middle of the pool that's drowning. Why wouldn't you jump in and do that? So that's, I'm, I'm glad I got that illustration out. Oh, baby. But yes, I think that that's a way of thinking about how to contribute to this larger movement, whatever space you're in. How do you save that person that's drowning in the middle? Yeah. And again, there's so much information and so many resources out there now. And someone once gave this phrase to me, and I, I think it's a perfect phrase, but it's like, it's a daily diligence type thing. It's like, what are you doing each day to question? What are you doing to disrupt each day? Like maybe today's a day about learning. And then tomorrow, what active things are you doing? One thing is like following these people on social media, because they are the ones that are, again, doing this for free, that are providing this resources, providing these like mutual aid. But you should be Venmoing them, I should say. I'm going to drop my Venmo at Marla-Lou. I'll be doing a whole lot of free labor for y'all. I could use it. <laughs> um, and all, all the organizers that are out here, like pooling resources for um, re-educating our communities as best as we can. Because, you know, I didn't choose to be in this work. I feel like I was definitely just 
my ancestors were like, girl, you have a lot of different ideas. Say something about it. Don't even like be like pulling into your mind about like if you should jump into it or not. Just go and surrender. You'll see what happens. I surrendered and I built a nonprofit child with the people around me. Like <laughs> That's the kind of commitment to just, again, if you don't know yourself, child, did I know that I had that impact? Or like just knowing that me pulling these resources and sharing historical facts or, you know, actually driving people to think critically about like what the Pledge of Allegiance is actually saying. How has it been indoctrinated within us? Huh? So like all of those things come together to really drive people to make those intentional daily steps of, okay, I'm going to read today, like you were mentioning, or I'll, I'll listen to a podcast led by indigenous people. I'll donate to contribute to the continuation of this podcast. There's again, so, so many ways to, to pull up daily with intention. And that's how things grow within you. Once you have that practice, activism is spiritual. So a lot of people get really turned off by that word. But you have to have faith in liberation or faith in oneself to actually pull up to make these changes. And if you're devoid of it, that's where you lose. You, you lost the game already. So yeah, that's what I wanted to drop in there too. No, I love that speaking out is spiritual because it is, it's a very, I don't know if this is the right word, but primal thing. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's very, it is speaking from your core. It's speaking from your core yeah, yeah. and it is doing something that can be vulnerable or can make people uncomfortable, but it is, is you speaking from your most authentic self? I mean, I think, and that, that is something that is to be listened to and to be admired. Hey y'all, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Queer Queries. Now this week, I'm going to talk to you about Claim Our Space Now. Now, Claim Our Space Now is a resource and multimedia one-stop shop for information and inspiration that will educate, motivate, unionize, and mobilize everyone in the task of dismantling an intricately woven system that was built to keep black and brown bodies under the foot of white supremacy. This information was taken from their website, and a link to learn more about this organization, as well as to donate to them, will be linked in the show notes below. I kind of want to pivot now to, like, how did Claim Our Space Now come about? What was that journey like? <laughs> I know it's like a whole thing and it's ongoing, but how did that come about? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the summer that was the closures of everything, the pandemic really, it's just a position. I was also finding my voice in my art direction and modeling and styling myself, like literally doing shoots on the roof for Savage Fenty. Like I was like, all right, well, honey, let's, let's, let's see what's good. And as I was living my free black life, I was also just like really affected by the news of Ahmad, the news of Brianna, and then like these cycles of black death and black lynchings. I could not understand how people were just defaulting into just fighting behind these singular hashtags when there was a much larger issue. Like police brutality is just that tip of the iceberg where it is very easy to see that Black people are routinely attacked. But nobody's talking about medical racism. Nobody's talking about environmental racism. Nobody's talking about educational racism. Like the school's prison pipeline, there's so many different things that I've learned throughout, whether it was that, that was on social media or through my liberal arts education at Fordham. And I was like, over the, the course of maybe from March, uh, when we started learning about the mod to May, that it was George Floyd's death. That was really that straw that broke my back. Because um, seeing George Floyd's face, very similar, like the same kind of build as my father, I was like, this, I can't do this. And I was already yelling. It goes back to me yelling on social media. And yes, seeing that that made an impact because people were like screenshotting what I had to say and then like reposting and sharing. But where where's that action? Where's my intention really holding? And so between like seeing the, and I, I mentioned Savage Fenty because it was in me seeing that video from Rihanna talking at the NAACP awards being like, all right, black people are dying in the street. Where, where are your friends going to pull up? All your friends look different than you do different things than you. Your doctor, baby, you know something about medical racism that I don't. How are you pulling up? And all of that together between intersectionality, really making this fight accessible because in seeing like the, the news reports about the protests that were happening and how corporate media was able to paint a picture of like, they have no reason to be throwing rocks through windows or are they, you know, like really demonizing the movement again. And there's a historical precedent that I, again, had seen in, in school and was actually in classes for, because I, <laughs> I was finishing my degree in the midst of all of this too, like my uh, summer classes at Fordham. And I was like, all right, 
how do I take all my experiences and all of this knowledge that I have and really streamline it into a vision that people can understand and that people can, you know, understand that they too can jump into this fight through their intersections because Black people's inequities in this world, in this diaspora, after we've been carted from to, from, left and right, America, Britain, the Caribbean, we've been systematically separated and demonized and completely deplored <laughs> for a reason to separate us so that we're not as strong as we can be knowing our true history and knowing our, our true power to stand up. And knowing the precedent of the Black Panthers, I feel like I'm also speaking to like the work that I'm doing now and like really looking back to the work that organizations have done in the past to really unionize folks. But exactly that, like we have to educate to understand like what I was already doing, that yelling of like, hey, baby, this is actually the truth. To motivate people to continue to re-educate themselves and to motivate them to the point of action. Because as I was saying, no, no changes don't happen by just pushing the needle just a little bit. If I see another reform in police, I'm going to lose it because like, if we can't reform something that comes from or it stems from slavery and catching slaves, that's precisely what is continuing to happen. All we see now is more surveillance. We got robot dogs in NYC. Y'all put in what to surveil in the projects like you're you're you are using tax dollars from people of all different backgrounds. Sure that is supposed to be funneling back into the community, but rather it goes into this machine that continues to suppress Black bodies. How does that manifest in the different spaces, in the hospitals, in, you know, childbirth, Black, you know, the list goes on. But this is, this is where my mind was because I was truly like spiraling and trying to understand how do we get it to the true basics of white supremacy, capitalism, and how we have to pull it together to see right through those cobwebs that continue to keep black bodies under the foot of white supremacy. And that's when that mission came alive. I was like, I know that I have artists in my network, but I also know that I have doctors, I have lawyers. We can't feel so unarmed because we actually all navigate through life and have the power in our individual industries or our identities, how we pull up. We know knowledge that maybe our, our neighbor might not. How do we teach them to also pull up with us? So that's where all of those things came together to really make that vision. And in me making the call out, I made those swipe throughs with those four words, educate, motivate, unionize, and mobilize, and claiming space. The name really came from me going back to how art is how I contribute into this fight very authentically and looking to Beyonce and how she like, she pulled up and claimed space at the Super Bowl. Didn't matter what anybody had to say. She was like, my whole team is going to be dressed as Black Panthers. I know y'all have some fake history that you continue to write about the intentions of Black Panthers, then I'm going to set the record straight. I don't care what the media has to say. I'm claiming space and going to make sure that you guys actually do. Like, I, I'm sure that the Google searches for Black Panthers went up that day to actually understand what the Black Panthers were here to do, just to liberate Black people. So claiming space unapologetically the way that she did is what I want Black people to be able to do. I want brown, indigenous people to be able to do because it is our birthright. So claiming space unapologetically, that word comes back <laughs> because we were all born on this planet to do exactly that. And nobody, no system, no white person, no homophobe, no whatever, uh, you know, ableist. There are all different intersections of oppression. How do we stand up and say, uh-uh, I'm going to say no to that because I know my rights and I know that there are people fighting for them with me and this won't last much longer because it's that concerted effort. If it's not a movement, if it's not everybody pulling up, I'm just yelling that one little person in the void. So in trying to create community that understood that our, our true power to speak against systems of oppression and move that needle beyond reform and actually demand in, in the direction of abolition, because it's not going to happen in a day. It's not going to topple over. And we have to continue to, I feel like I've been rattling off because I feel so very passionately about this. But yeah, base, we have to do it together. And right now we're in a, a reroute because as we know, like activism has kind of fallen fallen on the wayside because the world started opening up and people had to care about themselves more often, which again has historical precedent. Assimilation has been prioritized. Like, yay, we're seeing black people in movies now. Things are good. Baby girl, baby girl, I'm going to tell you this has been done before. But in an affirmative action class that I took at my last semester at, at Fordham, I saw just how in the face of crisis, in the face of the riots and black movements gaining foot, what they do is, all right, yeah, we're going to put Breonna Taylor on this, this magazine. We're going to monetize off of her body, literally, 
I always use the, the monetize because I want people to understand that it's always about making money off of our bodies. And we have to completely reject that, create our own spaces and continue to mobilize within our, our groups. And it will happen in pods. And at the end of the day, we're, we've got to claim space together to motivate and speak truth to power. Otherwise, we're going to get caught in the cycle again. I'm surprised we didn't see more, you know, less surprised because COVID has been one thing that has been on the news, news cycles. But I'm sure that there have been countless lynchings happening across the country of Black, Indigenous, POC. And I feel like this summer might be the first time that we haven't seen that because there's usually a pretty well-documented <laughs> unfortunately documented precedence of like the rise in police killings in the summer that's been written about in Jill Scott Heron. But again, also reinforcing, this is less of a claim on space now pivot, but the revolution will not be televised, darling. And I think that that's something that we learned. It's like, yeah, social media is a very powerful tool, but then what did they do? They started silencing us with those shadow bans. They, they see a word, a revolution child. They see the word capitalism. They see the word what? They'll silence you. They'll make sure that you are not visible. The surveillance of organizers and people making change. You know, that's, whew, I, my, my fire is, is lit, Nick. You got me talking about. <laughs> I, no, I mean, there's so, I, there's, so there's just so many things about. that, there's so much to talk about. I mean, yeah. just like to reiterate things you said, it's like the fight, it's so multifaceted between like medical racism, educational racism, environment, like all of these things. It's like you said, it's like it requires everyone in all different walks of life in all different fields to go into your field and figure out how to deconstruct. Like it's been a while since, since I, I listened to it, but the 1619 podcast, there's an excellent episode where she talks about, I think how her grandfather, I believe it's her grandfather, but just his experience with like cancer, I believe, and how his symptoms and everything was diminished for so long until it was too late by the time he kept going to see these doctors. And I mean, the the whole episode was just talking specifically about like racism in the medical field. So that's a podcast I highly recommend everyone go listen to 1619. Oh, and I guess to tag it down, like community did pull up in me posting about the vision and, and such like friends from high school, friends from uh, shows that I've done, that was the, that first team. Volunteers that were helping with outreach, social media, with us building our national resource directory that we're still doing the, the volunteer uh, outreach. We have a partnership with the School of New York Times, helping us really fill in those those blanks between, because we started with the Northeast and the South, um, and we've been moving our, our way westward to really find different categories of, again, across those intersections of life that um, organizations, businesses, leaders themselves and organizers that are galvanizing and doing that work. And we want to make sure that our communities in those spaces know exactly where to turn to when the government is like, oh, well, my hands are tied. There are actually people that are on the ground in your neighborhood, in your community that are doing this work and really empowering our communities as well as pointing the direction to spaces that people should be donating to if they are at the means or if they can volunteer. All those webs that I was trying to get at, they manifest in our national resource directory in terms of like initiatives that we were able to do together, like galvanizing 80 plus volunteers. I was shook. I was like, and that's the reach of the team and the community really showing that like, yes, we can claim the vote. I'm not going to speak to, because just the whole process of the electoral, like that was, a, it feels like we, we ran right through it because it felt like it was survival mode. We were always in survival mode last year, but with our claim the vote initiative, we were able to bring that joy and that light in helping to re-educate our communities. Like, hey, we, we're not going to tell, because we're a nonprofit, we're not going to tell you who to vote for, but you should know that you are empowered to vote for somebody that can change, whether that's on a local level or a national level, registering to vote gives you the opportunity to speak in, like, in your neighborhood and things that you care about. So how do you do the research on candidates that are actually going to pull up for your community? Who on the ballot is doing that? And so really changing and using that same framework, educate, motivate, unite, and mobilize right within our community. And it was really important to me to like really change the face of like what engagement within civics looks like, because it's very easy to be like, all right, we're at a table and we're going to tell you what to do. I was like, no, I want people to pull up as themselves unapologetically. That's what we're doing. We're claiming space here in the neighborhood. Yeah, we're going to have our, our music on. We're going to dance. We're going to have that joy. And so like just those principles of claiming space in the joyful resistance really helped bring community members right to us. We didn't even have to do all that much work to be like, hey, y'all, like, what's going on? 
And I think that was informed by my experience in preaching as a Jehovah's Witness coming up. Like I knew what worked and what didn't work. I was like, I'm not going to be knocking on people's doors. People hate that. I don't don't even want to do that. Um, So how do do we change for the better? Like I'm not going to be proselytized and tell you that you're gay. Oh no, you are doing something wrong. Actually, hey, you're gay. How are you going to vote for somebody that actually amplifies your voice on the ballot? And oh wow, it all connects. Taking my experiences from you know growing up and uh, dismantling systems of oppression within myself, and how that actually helps to free others it, within my work. Like that's something that I continue to try and find those pathways. Claim our space now was one of the first ways that that it happened, and I'm so grateful for the team that really pulled up and helped make it happen. A team of artists, honey. Um, <laughs> who said that artists can't the power? Grow? The, the power of artists, truly. I mean, there's just a small thing that. I mean, just in everything you've talked about, but I think you've talked about this multiple times. I think just the title of Claim Our Space Now, and and I've heard just the phrase claiming space come up so much within the past year. I think- Oh, trust me, trademarked it. <laughs> because I've been terrible. It's We're in the process of trademarking Claim Our Space Now. Because I was like, I saw a Spotify post like claiming space. I was like, ah, 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 no, we're not going to No. But it made me think of like, as like actors and artists, this notion of like always being grateful and being in spaces. And like, I thought when you were talking about like winning the Jimmy Award and in spaces like that of like this thing of like, we're supposed to be grateful for like all of these things. And sure, I think there could be a thing of like, I am genuinely like grateful for this. I'm grateful for the universe for providing this opportunity to me. But this notion of like, I'm imposing this on you and I didn't have to do this or like, because of whatever reason. And I think that's one of like beautiful things that have come out of this past year is how many people are like, no, I'm going to claim what is rightfully mine. And I'm going to take up that space. And I'm going to live this authentic truth without all of this like bullshit, et cetera, around me that I've grown up and have been taught. And I'm like, but that's not how I want to live and that I don't feel good. And and again, the questioning and again, the like just looking around and recognizing like how much is set up to oppress. And you got to reject that. <laughs> and you can only do that when you commit to intentionally doing that dismantling of those systems around you, stepping up as yourself. I remember getting that note all the time from like directors, like ground yourself, step into your, um, especially in high school, like I was doing Carolina change. Carolina is a strong, like she will not budge. But me, the 17-year-old me, jumping into really inhabiting her character. Oh, if I start talking about Carolina Change and how that also informs, like, she she was rigid in her ways, too. It's about civil rights. She she was like, I have me, little old me, how do I pull up? My daughter's doing whatever. I actually don't even fully support her fighting against the powers that be. Who am I, this lowly woman working as a maid? What can I do? And we see that transformation through the show and her stepping into her power and understanding, like, granted, it was, <laughs> it was directed towards a child, you know, watch the show. It's incredible. It's coming back to Broadway. But, you know, like, or I saw my, a lot of myself in her as I continued to grow and expand my voice in, in activism, my voice in the arts. And that's why I call myself an artist because it's truly the visionary experiences that I have and like seeing different stories and telling them is how I've been able to to grow and spread my wings into to this organizing space and expand my, my networks, meet other organizers who maybe through through civic engagement or electoral processes or some folks that I've met in the medical field that are very passionate about this work. And just seeing seeing the vision for Climber Space now manifest within my own life, it's been really beautiful and continues to reinforce that renewed and energy that we're gonna totally start with come next year, 2022. Because I I really want everybody to understand that, (laughs) y'all, activism is not just one way. There's multiple ways intersectionally to pull up and claim space together. Yeah. I just have like two, (laughs) I was going to say like little things. They probably aren't little things. But what change do you want to continue to see people make, people do in the spaces that, in like the industries that you're in? Like, what do you want to see people do more of? and, And what do you are excited for yourself to do? To claim what we deserve. I think I have not been super excited about the theater industry coming back because there are, beyond just pay, beyond the ways that shows are created, 
actors are, they tend to just be like those chess pieces that it, it goes back to what you were saying. Like you're, you should be grateful that you're even in this space. There are 10,000 other people that wanted this exact spot. So how do we, and always with respect, it's never like, I'm going to step into that. I want this to change this. That's, that's, that's just disrespectful, honestly, to everybody that's around the table. How do we actually make and make it a, a welcoming space that allows ideas to grow and flow? Also understanding that, yeah, the producer gets the final say because they got to make their money. You know, like there's a balance there. We're not disposable. I'm a full-bodied woman <laughs> who has a story to tell with everybody alongside me. How do we actually make it collaborative? How do we make it a safe space? I guess it'll take me being on the stage again to see how that dynamic has changed or not changed. But I have committed. I, I did an interview on Playbill and I said that when the theater comes back, I will continue to speak with my full chest about what I think needs to change because it, it wasn't a safe space before, but we allowed it to happen because we needed to collect our check. We needed to have a, a way to live. And yeah, I'm going, I'm going to live. I will. But knowing that I also have a space here to make this story actually rooted in realness and change the lives and for art to be what it really is. It's supposed to <laughs> like move the revolution. I am committed to being a part of stories that continue to tell immigrant stories, queer stories, black women, uh, and actually filling in historical facts or Afrofuturism. I want to see black joy. I want to see so much in the theater that is not being presented right now <laughs> uh, beyond Passover, which I have to see because I hear wonderful things there, but there are so many things that have to change, but I, I just hope that people go back knowing that they matter and that we should be allowed to speak and be a part of the creative process as creative beings <laughs> and tell stories that matter. And last thing, what is bringing you joy and giving you hope right now? My partner, every day, my friends. Oh, I love you so. It has been a, a wild ride the last couple, I mean, since since founding Climber Space Now. I've been housing insecure. I've been, you know, auditioning like anybody of the rest. I was living with my grandma for a while. And considering, you know, the, the proximity to people like my family who had turned their backs because of my, my choice to be, you know, living, living in my unapologetic truth. Again, like living unapologetically comes with its pros and cons. But in the face of all that, it, he has been my light. He has been helping me see uh, anytime I, I'm, I'm doubting myself or doubting <laughs> like the trajectory of does my voice really matter? Like, I feel like, I'm, again, I'm yelling into this void again especially as the energy for the, for, for the movement has felt like it's weighing down now that the world is open, you know, it's uh, between Mikey and also me leaning into routine for myself because as a, an entrepreneur, I found that you get to make your own schedule. So like I finally regained that consciousness in the last like two weeks or so after I don't even want to bring in the electoral, my time in electoral politics, because that was a whole clusterfuck of, you know, but it taught me, Hey Marla, in the scarcity mindset, it made sense for you to jump into organizing and electoral politics because you needed the money, one, and you also wanted to like show yourself that, hey, Claymore Space Now wasn't a blip in the simulation. Like I can actually continue to do this organizing beyond this. And it resulted in me being fired for speaking out against racism and speaking out against a lot of things. So I, I lost the check that I, I even went to go get. Um, but it, it reminded me that my true purpose is in art, is in storytelling, is in organizing on behalf of my own community. I can't create community for people that one, weren't really about it, about it. And really leaning into that purpose of mine, which is to make the revolution irresistible, no matter what it is, but specifically through my art. And I'm glad it always goes back to that team, but my team, my drive to continue to really make a routine for myself um, and show up for myself too. Because if I'm not working out, I, I find through working out, through eating healthily, cooking my own meals, like finding that for myself is really important. And that's where I've been able to find that joy again in the last like two, three weeks because there's always light at the end of the tunnel, honey. Always. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Marla, Marla, Marla. <laughs> what a conversation. Wow. <laughs> I know. We... We covered a lot of ground. I wrote down things. I'm like, there's so many other things we could get into. I mean, the things we're talking about, like, again, are so multifaceted, have going on for so long. So it takes a while. It takes a village. It takes a community to fight, to speak up, to learn to all the different things. And um, do that consistently. That's the real key that I'm really trying to, to unlock the consistency. Because yes, you can pull up that one time 
and turn away. But baby, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. if you're not doing it consistently that first time, honestly, it, it blew to the wind because the energy is lost. Not me trying to go back up in it. <laughs> ah, I know, I know. We could we could keep going. Um, but everyone, if you want to follow Marla, she is on Instagram at, at Marla Lou. I will link this in the show notes. Instagram for Claim Our Space Now, Claim Our Space Now. Uh, I'll also link the website and everything. And I'm going to link a bunch of resources too. So you will have plenty of other content to go and look at and learn from and research. Please follow Marla, follow Claim Our Space Now. You can donate to my personal fund at Marla-Lou, or you can donate to Claim Our Space Now. We have our fiscally sponsored by New York Theater Barn. So there is a, a way. Yes, we love New York Theater Barn. We love their mission and it's complete alignment with uh, what we're doing in terms of uh, really making uh, opportunities for people of color and uh, our communities as a whole. But yes, if you go to www.claimourspacenow.org slash donate, all of those links are right there too. So thanks again, Nick, for inviting me to tell my story and <laughs> for sharing a bit more about how, how things came to be and stepping into my queerness, my, my love, my life. And you're a part of that story. So thank you, Nick. <laughs> TBT to the Jibbies, baby. <laughs> I know. I love you so much, Marla. Thank you again, like from the bottom of my heart for being on this show. And Queer Queries listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of the show. Have a lovely rest of your day. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Queer Queries. The show is produced by yours truly, co-produced and edited by Addison McKissack. Theme song written by Matt Gregory, Colin Egan, and Mike Hubbard. Produced by Colin Egan and Mike Hubbard. Have an inquiry, topic suggestion, guest idea? Email askqueerqueries at gmail.com and I'll be sure to get back to you. Also, follow us on Instagram at, at queer.queries. And be sure to like and subscribe and go tell the whole world about the Queer Queries podcast.